we're going to get into the word in just a moment. Um, I did mention last week that I would hopefully have a little video to put up here on the screen from the Wild Ibis Blokes event. Um, I don't have that video here to put up this morning, but uh, this week we did create a Facebook page for those of you that are on Facebook. Um, some people we've we've added, some we haven't. Um, if you don't have a Y chromosome, we're not going to add you. Secret men's business. Um, explosions and gunpowder rifles and uh, and ludicrous amounts of saturated fat. We, I, I, I shared with someone this last week actually because there, there were a few blokes that weren't feeling too well afterwards and I was one of them partly because it was very long and took a lot of energy. But uh, the conversation happened as to whether or not we'd actually eaten too much bacon. And we didn't think there was a cap, you know, on on eating too much bacon in particular. Um, but if, if such a thing exists, we may well have found it. Um, so for those of you that want to be added to that group, um, please have a chat with me after the service. We have already started planning um, one more event between now and the end of the year, which looks to be a chili eating competition. Um because I don't cope with hot food at all. So it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be competitive. Um, it's probably going to be a little bit stereotypically masculine. And you know what? These are the blokes that we're after. Uh, we had about 60 guys turn up. The, the ratio was about 50-50 for churches and non-churches. And the same morning, the men's breakfast in Kahuna was really well attended. I heard there were about 70 blokes there. So it's good. We're, we're reaching a, a demographic of guys that aren't, al- aren't already being met elsewhere. So that's really, really good stuff. Let's pray, and then we're going to open the Word of God and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to be your people. It's the whole reason that that we meet together, that we want to worship you together, that we pray together, that we we join together in acts of mission on, so that people come into contact with you. We want to represent you. We want the world to know who you are. But Lord, we want to grow as well. We want it to be true of all of us, what Brooke was celebrating this morning about about Tim. We want to grow, every one of us. We don't just want to go through the motions. We don't just want to be people of ritual and ceremony. We want to walk and talk with you yourself. So, Lord God, please speak to us this morning. Would these words, maybe words that we've read hundreds or thousands of times before, would you illuminate them in our spirit? Would you cause them to come alive in a way that transforms us? We ask this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have a Bible, please grab it and open it up. We're going to be in Corinthians chapter 2. We'll do a a little recap here on the screen. I know it's been a few weeks since we've been in Corinthians. Um, And we're actually going to do a, a huge amount of text for us. We're going to do 10 verses. Wow. I know, massive. Um, Grab a Bible, open it up. We're going to jump from Corinthians back into Proverbs at one point this morning. So as you're flicking through, if you happen to find Proverbs, put a a piece of paper or just slot your finger in the Bible there because we're going to end up in Proverbs just for a, a couple of minutes. But Corinthians, when last we had a look at this, we were in chapter two and Paul had moved on in this discussion he was having, talking about how when he turned up, He didn't want the gospel to be all about him. He wanted it to be all about Jesus. 
And we spoke about this last time. We had uh, some words that were highlighted um, in the text. At least I muck around and highlight words. It's a useful learning tool for those of you that carry colored pencils or highlighters. And Paul here is saying that when he turns up, he wants people to get hold of God for their faith to be anchored back to God, not to any particular religious leader. And again, that's I'm not going to re-preach that sermon this morning, but that's my prayer for this church. That should be your prayer for your family and for your friends that they would know the Lord for themselves. We're going to read through the first five verses, and then we're going to go on into our text for this morning. So Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And Paul goes on. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. We're going to come back and talk about that. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even or especially the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There is so much in here. We're not going to cover all of it. I encourage you, if you don't regularly sit down and, and have a look at um, commentaries where people for centuries have sat down and spent even years looking at one book of the Bible and going through and, and doing all the stuff of, of history and analyzing the text, have a read through some commentaries about this. There is so much in here. Got some different colored font here. Who here has an Instagram account, just out of interest? Just show of hands. Okay, handful of people in the room. It is a photo sharing app which people have on their phone. I've been mucking around with it recently, and it's really cool because you can put a photo up and you can attach little um, like tags to it. So if someone loves shoes, they can take a photo of their favorite pair of shoes and put a little tag on it that says, this is a photo of shoes. It's really cool. 
Yeah, the world is inane sometimes. But the, but the great thing is if you're going to go and visit somewhere, say you go, oh, we're going to go on a holiday to, you know, wherever, Yakandanda, you can hop on Instagram and go look at all the tags attached to photos of Yakandanda and it will bring up hundreds and hundreds of Yakandanda photos and you go, oh, that looks all right, I might go there. Now, the thing with this little photo sharing app is it has a whole lot of stuff in it called filters. So you can have your photo sitting there and if you tap one of these little things that called a filter, it makes your photo look so much better than the one you actually took. It's great and it highlights colors or it creates more shadows or it, and just really, really lovely. And then you can go into the filter and then tweak it a bit more. And one of the things in, in, in all of these that you can hop into and tweak is contrast. And, and I was just sitting and reflecting on this. Contrast is our key word for this morning. We're going to come back and we're going to read this with this word buzzing in our head, contrast. And I was thinking, man, I remember when I was a kid, our church had an op shop. And I would go and muck around with all the dead electronic equipment, um, TVs and radios and stereos, and occasionally things like irons and hair dryers and fans. And only in recent years has it occurred to me how close to death I came. <laughs> because this was before testing and tagging was a thing. And, and I used to love mucking around with these big old rank arena TVs where you would click the dial on the front of them like this. Who here had one of them? Yeah. Yeah, and they were, they were the size of a small vehicle, some of them. But you only had really two, two or three things on those TVs you could tweak. One was vertical hold because the picture would always do this and you remember and you had to dial it down until eventually that slowed down and, and you could see the, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine. But then you could adjust the brightness of the picture, even on black and white TVs, and you could adjust the contrast. How black was the black and how white was the white? So this morning, I want this word to be in your head about contrast because that is what Paul is doing here. Paul, in this passage of Scripture, is contrasting two radically different things, the wisdom of human beings and the wisdom of God, particularly the wisdom of God as it comes to us in the Spirit. That is the point that Paul is making because Paul is writing to a group of people that are, that are just swimming in Greek philosophy. They are in a melting pot of culture. Everyone's got an opinion and they're publicized and, and they're rolling over the top of each other. Sound a little bit like Aussie culture these days. And so Paul is writing to say there is a very big contrast between the way the rest of the world thinks and understands reality and what it means to actually have wisdom from God. So we're going to read through this passage. We're going to jump into Proverbs. We're going to come back and talk about some implications. Verse 6. So Paul has just finished saying, I didn't come to you just trying to spout human wisdom. Your faith needs to be attached to God and God alone, not to any religious leader. But our message still has wisdom in it. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So again, my colors haven't worked too well on the screen this morning. But the stuff in green is the stuff that Paul is saying. These are good things. We have a message of wisdom among the mature. If the Spirit of God has actually got hold of you and you've been growing in it, you're going to understand that it's wise. You're going to recognize that it is a message of wisdom, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The wisdom that comes from God is not anything like the wisdom that's going to come from 
our, our worldly or earthly political systems or the people who, who we consider leaders uh, or rulers in terms of sporting personalities or media personalities or even philosophers and, and people who, who want to you know, shape the way people think. The wisdom of God is not that wisdom. Verse 7, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And then he says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. If the people of, of the world that Paul inhabited and the world that we inhabit, if they were actually wise, then there would be no contention about the person of Jesus Christ. And back then, if they were really wise, if their wisdom really was proper, true wisdom, Jesus would not have been crucified by them. See, sometimes in the absence of, of God, we can end up seeing uh, philosophy degrees and doctorates um, and even huge establishments and universities as having things which are really, really, really wise. But in light of Christ, that's how these things are supposed to be measured. The wisdom that comes from God. Verse 9, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Paul here is quoting um, Isaiah 64. And if you, and I encourage you, write this down and go home and have a look at it. Have a look at Isaiah 64. You'll have a footnote in your Bible with a little letter next to it. If, if it includes the quotes, go home and read Isaiah 64 because it's about God whooping his own people because they ignore him because it doesn't sink in, their behavior is not transformed, and God spells out throughout the rest of Isaiah 64 what is going on and what what he is going to do to them. And then he says, but you know what? I will redeem you. And and as it as the text flows into Isaiah 65, you have this promise of God. And that's where we find these verses about the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's where we find this promise of, of restoration and a new creation. That's what Paul is referencing here. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Things that, that have actually never occurred in human thinking before. See, we can't look at the world around us and go, you know what, everything's broken and everything's falling apart. You know what, one day it's going to be perfect. One day the lion's going to eat grass. We would not arrive at that conclusion if we were left to our own wisdom. Paul is saying here, that's what God has revealed to us by the Spirit. And in the middle of all of this, Paul makes these, these two statements. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, verse 10, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we need to take this part particularly seriously because here is the implication that's coming from it. It is the very Spirit of God you have inside you. It is the Spirit, Paul is saying, the Corinthians have received. That's the Spirit of God that if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ is in you. And where we're going, the very last verse in this chapter, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. That's got to mean something. If the Spirit of God that is in you is the only person, for want of a better word, the only person, the only being, the only entity who actually truly knows what God is thinking and that Spirit comes and resides in you, then the very thoughts of God 
are something that you have access to. The thinking of God is now running in you alongside your own thinking. The values of God, the loves of God, the things which are detestable to God, the things which are meaningful to God, that is now living and breathing and and pulsing inside of you because the life of the very Spirit of God is inside of you. You don't live on your own anymore. Your body is not just yours anymore. You are not just inhabiting yourself anymore. Now the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God who searches and knows the riches and, and the deep things of God is inside of you. Some big implications for us. This is Paul's point. Verse 12, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The spirit inside of you is always going to lead you to Christ. The spirit of God inside of us is always going to lead us in the direction of understanding who Jesus is, of glorifying God, of going, you know what, I I need to let this thing go and I need to grow in this area. He's always going to take us in God's direction. Verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. In the Greek, it's the same word. Anytime that the Apostle Paul uses the word spiritual, sometimes we go, oh, that person's a bit spiritual, and it might mean they're new age or something else. Anytime the Apostle Paul uses that word, it, it literally means of the Holy Spirit. It is always a reference back to the Spirit of God. That is the anchor point. So explaining Holy Spirit realities with Holy Spirit taught words. It's, it's the exact same word in the Greek, um, pneumatikos. So it's literally, Paul is saying, we, we compare apples with apples. We judge spirit with spirit. That's the way it works. The Holy Spirit inside of us is the reference point now for everything else. Verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. This is where we're going with what we're going to chat about in a minute. But considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Some of you have had conversations where that's played out. Where no matter what words you use, no matter how many hours you sink into trying to explain something, it's just not going to make sense. Because there are some things that only make sense after the Spirit actually opens a person's mind to think. Now, this this concept is a huge can of worms because then we go, so how can anyone come to God without God opening their mind first? Does that mean God's deciding that people are going to hell? And we get into all all the stuff of of predestination and, and, and working through all that sort of stuff. That's not where Paul's going with this. We can come back, we can have that chat. You know, we'll put 40 hours aside and we'll sit down and have a good supply of coffee and bacon. Not too much bacon though. Learn our lesson. And we can talk about that. But Paul here is saying, you know what? There are people, remember he's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who have have not just come out of a Greek background, but as we've uh, read in Acts, um, When Paul goes to Corinth, he begins by trying to talk to the Jewish people. And there is something there, even about people who are religious, to go, there is is something about the Spirit of God which gives understanding where people can get past this hurdle of going, "But, but it's foolish, it makes no sense. 
And here in verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. It means that if the Spirit of God is in you, then the decisions you make about how you're going to live your life are decisions based on the full spectrum of reality, that we are not materialists. We don't believe the material universe is all that there is. So it means that we have a perspective because of the Spirit of God living inside of us, which someone else doesn't have. So someone who, who say, believes that, that the physical universe is all there is, they're going to look at you and they're going to go, oh, you know, your behavior is out of order. It doesn't make sense. Your values are wrong. Uh, the way you budget is wrong. The stuff you spend your money on, the stuff you spend your time on, the relationships you're in, oh, that doesn't add up. You know, why are you living generously or sacrificially? Why are you forgiving people? It is not going to make sense to them. Such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Someone who does not have the Spirit of God is not going to grasp the, the whole nature of the way that we live. Really simple. Verse 16, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. Someone who does not have the Spirit of God is not in a position to give advice to Christ on how to live. And Christ is in us, changing the way we live. So in the same way that, that someone who is completely foreign from God would not understand Jesus Christ, they're not in a position to give him advice, they're not going to understand the way you live. They're not in a position to actually critique adequately the way that you live if you belong to Christ. So we need to talk about what we do with this. Again, there's a lot in here. We're not going to cover all of it because Paul is very clear that there's this contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that comes from God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And it means we need to, to address our relationship with what we consider to be wisdom. Jump with me into the book of Proverbs. You find about halfway through the Old Testament, it's pretty big. And Proverbs, I think, is the best book of the Bible for kids and teenagers to read and read and read and reread. In early, in early um, debate after the time of Christ, there was this issue that came up uh, in Christian thinking going, what do we do about the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus says it's better for, for me to go and then I will send another. Um, and in the text, it, it's loaded uh, with meaning that it's another of the same kind of Jesus. Jesus elevates the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, any sin is forgivable except sinning against the Spirit of God. Um, and there's this real high status that Jesus gives the Spirit. And as we've just read in Paul's writings, and so what happened then is, is a whole lot of Christian thinkers went, well, if the Holy Spirit's been there the whole time, why have we never seen the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? And they went, well, actually, it was the Spirit who was hovering over the waters in creation. Actually, there was a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. You know, we, we need to be careful the way we read this. And one of the things that came out of that discussion was then going, wisdom in the Old Testament is always, always, always personified. The wisdom of God is personified as a person, usually as a woman. Oh, come on. I was hoping for at least like one amen out of that. <laughs> and, and literally, we use the name Sophia. But Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. And wisdom in Scripture is always feminine. Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to read Proverbs chapter 8. 
And then we're going to jump back into Corinthians. Because this is something that we need to understand is that wisdom is described in Scripture as being a companion for us. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride. And arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech, counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, nobles, all who rule the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Well, that sounds familiar. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ago in the very beginning when the world came to be. When there was... When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, which is a phrase that we find way back in Genesis, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters could not overstep his command. When he marked down that, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. Sound familiar? I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting in my doorway. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, harm themselves. All who hate me, love death. Wow. Wisdom, hey? Sophia, we need to understand that our relationship with God's wisdom is a relationship with the Spirit of God, the Spirit who lives inside of us, who will reveal Christ. That's the promises we read about a lot, uh, particularly around John 14 to 16. That's our first point for this morning. Really simple, really straightforward. To have God's wisdom is to have the Holy Spirit. 
point, I've, I've put them out of order this morning. Point three, we'll go from point one to point three. We need to accept out of everything that Paul has said that the wisdom of God will not make sense in this world. Paul says it here. Um, verse 14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them. Go back to the picture just for a minute. God told Noah to build an ark, which would have looked pretty stupid. Moses had a stick in his hand and a speech impediment. And God said, you're going to set my people free. Joshua needed to conduct a military conquest and the Lord said, go and march around it and it'll fall down. Elijah on Mount Carmel wanted God to show up. And so what he did, what he did is he actually, with his sacrifice, he dug a moat on top of a mountain and filled it with water for a burnt offering. David goes out with a slingshot and some smooth stones to defeat Goliath. God decides that in order for his people to be saved, he needs Esther to win a beauty pageant. The wisdom of God will not make sense to this world. We see this foremost in the person of Jesus Christ. God puts on flesh and becomes human. The limitless, immeasurable, eternal, inexhaustible person of God puts on flesh and becomes finite and limited and geographically contained. Not only that, but when he turns up, he chooses earthly parents who are not rich or powerful or influential or safe. They are part of a persecuted race. He is of questionable lineage. His parents are not even married at the time. And then Jesus, using wood and nails, undoes the authority of Satan over this world, breaking the power of sin and death and reallocates the very judgment of God off us and onto himself with some wood and some nails. The wisdom of God will not make sense to this world. And we need to accept that as we seek to walk in wisdom, the way we walk will not make sense. We have to accept that. We have to accept the wisdom of God is not going to make sense to the other people around about us who don't know the Spirit. This is hard for us because up until really the, the point of time that we're in at the moment, Christians have for a long time enjoyed respectability in our country. We've enjoyed the favor of the state. There is government legislation that has protected religious freedoms. We're not regularly having our churches burnt down or, or Christians slaughtered in the streets. That's not been our experience here. And so this is, this is probably going to be a bit of a hurdle for us to grow out of this. And this is going to take some time. I think this is going to take some years to really take root in Australian Christianity. To follow God is, is to accept that we're going to look stupid to everyone else. We have to accept that we are going to be at war with our culture. We need to accept that the way we use our money as a specific 
example. We're going to talk about money and relationships just for a minute. The way we use our money is going to look different. The world around us talks about investing and leaving legacies, and those are good things. But in the wisdom of God, Jesus sends out the 72, and he says, don't take sandals, don't take a bag, and don't take your purse. In the wisdom of God, Jesus lets Judas look after the money. In the wisdom of God, Jesus sits at the temple and he sees a widow give her last two coins and Jesus praises her and says she gave more than everyone else. My wife and I had this conversation last week. For, for a long time, you guys know I'm a bit of a petrol head. I love mucking around and playing with cars and recently I've been looking at four-wheel drive stuff because it's a form of motorsport where the family can come along. But... But every time you, you put something on and, and you go, oh, cool, I'll look at a four-wheel drive thing, people go, oh, you know, you can, you can bolt this to your four-wheel drive and you can attach that to it and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's really good. And we were driving recently and, and again, I'm on eBay on my phone. I'm like, oh, Annie, look, you know, this is a great bull bar. And she said, Bob, she said, what are we going to say to the Lord on that day? And I'm like, man. And it is. It's frustrating because all of a sudden you go, yeah, that's right. I'm not allowed to just think that way. I can't just go, oh, there's money in the bank. I'm going to go buy myself that thing. That is not the way we live. That's not the way that we are called to live. We are called to live lives of eternal value. And it doesn't mean that we don't buy shoes when we need shoes or, or, or this sort of stuff if, you have the, if we have the capacity. But it's not just my values at work in here anymore. And in your heart, it's not just the things that you want. It's the values of the Spirit of God seeking to do things which are wise in light of eternity. This applies to our relationships as well. The wisdom of God is to love your enemies, to do good to those who persecute you, to forgive. The wisdom of God is to sit and eat and give love and regard to the poor and the rejected and the people who are social outcasts like Zacchaeus or the woman at the well. The wisdom of God is to spend time with people who want to exploit us, like Jesus dining with the Pharisees. The wisdom of God is to give our lives and our time and our energy to journeying with people who are in distress, like Jairus when his daughter was ill, like the centurion whose servant was ill, like Jesus going to Bethany when Lazarus dies. Those things are the wisdom of God. And this is a fierce push back. Maybe sometimes we get really, really comfortable in this, but it is actually a really fierce pushback against everything that the rest of the world is telling us to do, to live for yourself, spend your money on yourself. Um, you know, those, those people are just going to suck energy out of you. Don't, don't give your time and energy to them. Oh, they're, they're, they're difficult or they're messy or, or any of those things. I had the chance recently to, to visit with some people uh, where it was really hard because in their vocabulary, they would talk about people being ferals. The wisdom of God is different. There is no such thing as a feral person. The wisdom of God is to put our own prejudice aside and what we see is an image bearer of the Most High God Every human being is made in God's image and they are an image bearer. Regardless of their sin, regardless of their decisions, they are valuable and precious and our Lord Jesus Christ has shed his blood for them. That is the wisdom of God. 
And it's not going to make sense to the world we live in. So how do we do this? How do we actually live and walk in this? How can we be continually growing in our thinking and our values? How can we have our principles and our behaviors and our decision-making being bigger than just us? It's because the Spirit is the mind of Christ. And again, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we had a look at the first part of chapter 2, we have to deal with our control issues. We must deal with our desire for control. If the Spirit is within us, then we must seriously choose to exercise obedience to the Spirit. We must surrender to the mind of Christ. We must submit, surrender to the mind of Christ. This has got to be, I think, one of the hardest things because it can make sense for us cognitively that, that Jesus turns up and he is who he is, he is who he claims to be, and he's died for our sins. But it's something completely different where the Lord says, I want to deal with your self-centeredness. Where the Lord says, you are living in a way that keeps yourself emotionally safe and that's not the way I want you to live. Sometimes it's like the Lord comes in and says, there is this extraordinary tree growing inside of you of behavior and lifestyle and values and decision-making, but it's not my tree and I need to take it out so that I can grow in you my wisdom and the identity I have for you the sense of safety and security which is anchored to me. And this is where it's really pointy for us because if I would rather have my own wisdom and be living in my own wisdom and be living in my own values and my own decision-making, then the wisdom of God, I am worshipping an idol. And if you would rather have your own wisdom than the wisdom that comes from God, you are worshipping an idol because we worship ourselves and we need to stop. Folk in this world who do not have the spirit will not understand. They will think you're an idiot or they'll think you're unbalanced or defective or that you have a chemical imbalance and they will hate you. And they will hate what you say and what you stand for. And if you keep walking in obedience to the Spirit of God, they will hurt you. And we must accept this. To follow Jesus is to be like him. And he said that if this happened to him, it will happen to us. That's what being obedient to the wisdom of God looks like. Contrast. And the contrast of wisdom and foolishness isn't just out there in the world, it's within us. It is within your heart. So I encourage you, don't gloss over this. If you need to take some time today, whether it's this morning, whether it's later on, if you need to go and and have time on your own, go and speak to the Lord about this because this is something that each one of us can continue to grow in. Lord, in my decisions... How am I different? How am I in contrast to the world? 
Lord, in those moments where no one else can see me, am I still in submission to your wisdom? Lord God, would you help me to have the courage to actually follow you, knowing that it will look like foolishness? And Lord, as I wrestle with that, could you just nudge me and ask me who I'm trying to impress today? We must love Christ and his kingdom more than our own comfort if we are truly to be God's children and the household of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is hard stuff because it's personal and because you see all of it all the time in our heart, in our decisions, in our values, in the things which upset us, that that reveal what's really valuable to us. Lord God, would you give us your wisdom? Lord God, would you help us to deal with our control? Lord God, where we have put you aside in order to gain a higher rank somehow in this world, whether it's through being uh, more qualified or more respected or, or looking smarter than other people or having, having a kind of wisdom that, that shows up in, in, in a myriad of different ways. Lord God, where we actually need to be convicted of that, would you convict us of that? And where we need to unplug it and leave it behind and journey forward with you, please walk us in that. Lord God, we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, but your spirit is within us. And Lord Jesus, we want to be transformed. Would you please help us to stop focusing on meaningless, temporary rubbish? Would you lift our eyes up to see you and your glory? Everything that Paul said, that there is a day coming where all things will be made new. This mystery that you are the God of creation and you have come and you have redeemed us and there is something so much bigger than trying to look smart in this world. Lord God, would you lift up our mind, our thinking, our heart, our passion, our desires to be focused on you. Lord Jesus, please reveal yourself in us. Please help us to deal with these things. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.